the careers podcast with the information you need to take the next step Welcome, yes, hello, welcome to the podcast that's for you when you need the the ins and outs of what it takes to work in a particular role, how you build a career in that. Nick, before we come to our guest, I really would like to signpost something that I've seen on social media. I think this is a fantastic thing. It's got so much merit about it. I think we need to give a mention to... It's an in- initiative in the North East called Suitability. And I know you're across this too. I know you've seen this. Essentially, if you're worried that you don't have the right clothing, the appropriate clothing for a job interview in that part of the world, Suitability will step in. Yeah, brilliant. John, you highlighted this to me on Twitter, and so I've, I've had a follow. And what they do looks fantastic. Um, so you can find them at suit underscore ability. And great stories, and they post pictures of, of people who've who've got the job, having you know, having benefited from their service. So, yeah, you're going to to uh, attend an interview. You need to look smart. Suitability will will help you out. What a great thing to be doing! Mm. What a lovely selfless thing. And you say, obviously, you've given their Twitter handle, their uh, web address, their online at suit-ability.com. That's suit-ability.com. Uh, now, our guest today, Nick, on this episode, the, the first of 2022, he is someone who managed to take what I guess you'd call a landmark moment, a, a line in the sand at the age of just 12, and make it into a, a very influential role uh, in a sector that he, he just loves. Yeah, incredible to hear that right from that early age, he had an idea of, of what he wanted to be doing. He kind of paid attention to the things that were, were interesting to him, what what kind of took his mind and passions even from that, that young age and, and, and has followed them all the way through and, and done something fantastic with it and, and genuinely had a, a massive impact on, on loads and loads of people. Um, so, uh, yes, it's uh, going to be a, a fantastic listen and we uh, we really hope you enjoy it. It's, you're absolutely bang on there. It's hugely compelling. Um, I, I love so much of what he says. And what a career story. All of the sort of the satisfying ingredients converge in this. There's a, a great deal that Dean himself has learned and continues to learn from, you know, directing actors, working with producers and, and venues and it's it's so well captured here so afterwards obviously you know as per you and i will come back and and look at some of that because this is a podcast uh, not just concerned with profiling a job but it's the whole story around it great so let's have a listen to dean johnson Uh, we're hugely grateful that he's taken some time to uh, talk to us on the careers podcast dean is a director in in musical theater and uh, yeah, let's let's hear from him. Inside View. Hello, my name is Dean. I'm from Northern Ireland, and I am a theatre director living in London. What was your uh, kind of pathway, the sort of headline of that, to what you do now? I think uh, I started directing productions quite young, very young, probably too young, um, as uh, as the kind of run of, run of the game goes. Um, but I think I directed my first show when I was 12. Um, I'd always been interested in telling stories and I think uh, coming from Ireland, it's, it's a huge part of what we do. It's, it's what we enjoy to do. And um, I remember seeing productions of Blood Brothers, you know, professional tours that had, uh, and Chicago and things like that that had come to Belfast and really just being taken to a, a different world and thinking that's what I want to do that that's that's the thing that I would like to uh, I would like to do when I'm old I would like to create those stories so when I was 12 I went to a theatre in Belfast and said uh, hey you know I'm 12 uh, I, I want to make a show I want to produce a show can you give me the theatre space for free and any theatre in their right mind would have turned that down um, but luckily for me this theatre didn't and they uh gave me the space and uh, gave me lots of resources and I produced and directed my first play and it was terrible. It was the worst thing I think any human being has ever seen on this stage but of course it's of course it's going to be when you're 12, right? So um, I guess from that point I, I started to create work and then uh, carried on directing and just emulating directors that I knew and saw and 
wanted to create stuff like them and then I went and I actually trained as a performer at the Guildford School of Acting I moved to England uh, and that really opened my horizons to a lot of things and I met a lot of new directors and it was around that time that I started doing a lot of assisting work for some amazing professional directors and learning my craft and then started developing my own process really. I, I imagine your directorial notes uh, now to your 12-year-old self would be fairly interesting. Quite extensive, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Quite extensive. <laughs> Just come into my office for the next few hours. <laughs> the, I mean, so, so there you are, you know, you're sat at school, you know, you've got this influence going on, this, this burning desire to be part of stories, to tell stories, etc., and obviously perform. But the, those interests and abilities that are good to have for anyone to, to go into the field that you're in um, and, and to obviously enhance once they've left school, what are they? What, what are those things that form the basis of doing what you do? I think it's a lot of things. And I think some of them, uh, I think some of the skills that are required to be a director are, are more immediately obvious and, and some are perhaps more subtle, but, but maybe more important. I think the first thing is obviously having a natural sense of creativity or, or wanting to be creative is, is a huge part of it. You want to tell stories, you want to build worlds. For me, as a kid, I was at a wild imagination. I mean, my, uh, you know, my parents were kind of called into my primary school because I was the kid who was, you know, I had lots of friends, but would choose to be alone at break time, walking around the perimeter of the playground talking to myself, making up stories, all, all that kind of thing. And um, uh, and, and just loved being creative and, and just inventing things. And I think that's a, a huge skill to what you do. You know, as a director, you've, you've got to be an ideas man. You've got to understand you know, how to take your ideas then and, and build them into reality. And I think that is an obvious skill and something a lot of people who would want to be a director would immediately realize but once you kind of get past that point I think the skills the more subtle skills that are actually perhaps more important and and have helped me to advance it's it's about working with people it's a management role and you're not there as a director to have any sense of ego or have any sense of you know this is my story my play my vision it's a collective vision it's a collective process and your job is to set the tone and the atmosphere of the rehearsal room so that everyone can be at the top of their game. And it's that realization that it is first and foremost a, a people's role and those skills of how you work with people, how you empathize with actors or fellow creatives or producers into what they need at all times uh, it's a very multifaceted role and it's, it's hard for that but if you're the type of person who relishes collaboration and relishes constantly problem solving and keeping the plate spinning then it's, it's a great it's a great role a fascinating parallel you draw about leadership and management and I'd definitely like to explore that some more as the conversation goes on we will do that but um what I'd like to come to it now is, and, and I appreciate that, you know, we're not talking about the role of a jobbing actor as such. You know, this is, your your position is to, to to direct clearly, but I think the majority of of people that are not in that uh, sector, that industry, not in show business at all, see arts and performance, and that whole field as as extremely competitive, very very cutthroat. I mean, where where do you pick up an edge, Dean? You know, so that you've got those extra margins to give you an advantage. So so your the one that, that lands that particular project and, and job it, it is very competitive and and you're right of course you know the the sector of being an actor and how competitive that is with auditioning and stuff it is different from the the creative team side of things but but there are similarities it's very competitive there's lots of directors out there there's lots of people who want to make work I think the first thing that really helped me with regards to that is just realizing that there is room for everyone and actually although it is competitive taking the competitive nature out of it focusing on the stories you want to tell and the, the type of work you want to create not worrying about what this person is doing or that person is doing and how that compares to what you're doing 
and just not staying in your lane, so to speak, but just keeping keeping an eye on your pathway as you move forward. And then the, the second thing and the advice I always give to young directors is don't be afraid to be passionate about your work. Uh, I think there can sometimes be this sense of uh, you know, we want to hold our cards close to our chest and we're afraid to show our passion in case someone judges that passion. Or And I certainly did that for a while uh, at the early part of my career, you know, because of natural anxieties that, that come with that. But the moment I think I started to just unfilter my passion about the type of things I wanted to do. And for me, that's, I love creating musical theater and that's my speciality and the, a particular type of musical theater within that genre. Um, the moment I just started to walk into the room with a producer or with a theater company or, and just, just bear everything and show my passion and show the way I work and how enthusiastic I am about my work. I think that's infectious for people and I think people value that openness uh, in in your creativity and so that takes you on, on a really interesting path. So those are the two things I, I would say help you get an edge, so to speak, but it really it's about focusing on what you're doing. You get a lot of the rewards from your career by the fact that, you know, you are this, this advocate for young people, you know, the how much you like to help and encourage them that's a big why for you so where was it that that came from was there a particular place or experience yeah I think the thing is John for me growing up you know I I didn't have a a huge amount of uh privilege in terms of contact to wealth and and uh understanding what this industry might be or, or how to break into it at all so I relied very heavily on people who could support me in that journey and teach me and help me and nurture me along that journey and so having having people that did that you know whether it was my school that was super super supportive and or my you know my local drama group or the theater that gave me the theater space that never should have or um the um you know groups like musical theater for youth that i grew up with in northern ireland who were we were trying to kind of bring that kind of Good Friday Agreement generation an opportunity to explore the arts in a new way. And all of that was so paramount to who I am and what I could become and, and the opportunities that I had. So I just believe firstly in, in being able to give back for that. You know, I, I feel a responsibility that those who gave so much to me, I want to pass that on. And so every opportunity I can, I try to help nurture young artists, whether that's performers, whether it's creatives, whether it's writers, just trying to open as many doors for those people as possible, especially if they're from a situation where that's tricky. And and it's not about anybody being a charity case or anybody needing to be spoon fed. You know, these young people are so capable. It's just about allowing what they're capable of to be seen and i think that's the first thing and and i think the second thing is is also and this is a a slightly more selfish part of it is i think you learn so much from teaching others you know i think 30 percent of what i know i learned from other people 30 percent of what i know i learned from failing and kind of developing that and 30 percent of what i know i learned from teaching other people um and it's a huge part of developing your own craft, I think, is actually being able to explain it to others or being able to work with others and and help them. You start to realize things about yourself that you maybe never realized. And so for me, every person that I help, I learn something new about myself that I can bring into my own career. And it's cyclical like that. And I, I have so much respect for people who teach full time because the things they must learn about others and themselves is is incredible and it's teaching i think is a wonderful thing to do it's it's the height of all careers in many ways whether you're teaching full time or you are a teacher within the industry or community that you're a part of and your your own uh, professional and artistic development another side of it as, uh, you know apart from the one you've just alluded to there how how far is that a very subjective thing in, in being a director, Dean? Because, I mean, who decides, let's say, if and how you progress in your career? There's not always uh, an immediate or recognisable manager, is there, or supervisor. So how, how does that work when somebody does what you do? 
yeah you're, you're absolutely right there is there is no supervisor and there is no you know when you were for most directors unless you're attached to a building of some sort you're self-employed and and with that comes a lot of responsibilities you know you are a business you are a one-person business and that means you are the managing director and you are the employee and you're in charge of accounts and you're in charge of human resources and you're in charge of making sure that there's food at lunch you know you you're catering and everything above and and um and, and so there's definitely that that side of kind of having to be independent and independence is a huge skill that i think is required but coming on to the the artistic side of that um i think you're you're totally right john that there it's entirely subjective and there is always a zeitgeist of the moment and that is constantly changing and i think the best advice i can always give to people with regards to that is as an artist, you are ultimately reflecting the world around you. So make sure you give time to see that world. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in what we do that we forget to look around us. And actually, inspiration for art is everywhere. It's all around us. It's in people, it's in places, it's in things. And when you draw from that, and you're drawing from that in the moment, then your work is current because what you're what you're bringing in and then outputting in your work well that's what everyone else is experiencing so it becomes something that's universal and i think if you come at it the other way and you sit down and go okay i want to make something that's everything to all people you'll never be able to do that but if you just explore the world around you and try and bring that into your work it will happen organically and, and people will recognize what you do and after that it's subjective people are either going to like what you do or they don't like what you do but i think the one of my heroes as a as an artist is stephen sondheim who passed away last year who's a musical theater lyricist and and composer and uh one of his most famous lyrics is um the choice may have been mistaking the choosing was not and i live my life by that mantra it's it's making a choice and knowing your justifications and believing in your choices and then if anyone likes it or doesn't like it that's up to them but you know that you've backed your art and you've backed your work and I, that's the most important thing but I think you find that the more passion you put into your work the more people will get from it. It's very clear that the motivation has, has long been there and that, that burns very, very brightly. And, and, you know, your story is very clear, Dean, but how did you, how did you find your directing style or, or voice that you know how you interact with performers, actors, uh, musicians, etc., and, and and get the best from them and, and get the best performance? Because I'm sure every director has their own, sometimes idiosyncratic style. Oh, absolutely. And I think uh, it, going back to what I was saying earlier about the um, the terrible show that I, I directed, age twelve. You know, bear in mind, I, I I carried on directing stuff for at least you know, well, I'm directing stuff to this day. But it was probably another ten years before I directed something that then felt like that's me you know and everything up until that I slightly alluded to earlier was really borrowing from people and I think that's so important in the first stage is look to who you admire and see what you can emulate from what they do and look at who you maybe don't admire and see what you can learn from that and I've worked with some wonderful directors you know Stephen Dexter who taught me so much about craft and so much about how to just stage a show and how to look at things from a story structure point of view and Justin Audebaer who's the uh, artistic director at the Unicorn Theatre who really taught me how to work with a company and keep a company motivated and playful and once I started to take some of those ideas on board and then put them into my own craft you start to develop your own idiosyncrasies uh, you for me my work is generally about empathy when it comes down to it it's generally about how we can empathize with each other and because that's a huge part of my work it then becomes a large part of what the tone has to be in the room um when i'm working with actors my philosophy and this is the way i work and i can't speak to how anyone else works it's 
you know, I want to look after all of the actors in my room and all of the other creatives in my room. It, I think it's very easy to look as the director as the big boss man, uh, and I, I don't, I don't view it that way. I see the director as a servant to the story, and then they're just part of a team, and everyone is on a kind of level footing. And of course, there's responsibilities as a director and decisions that ultimately fall with you. But past that. Everyone's ideas are valuable, and learning to listen is just as important as learning to come up with the best idea. I always have a little mantra that if I come into a room and I have idea A, and someone has idea B, and someone has idea C, and so on and so forth, we all bring those ideas and put them in a melting pot, and what you then create is something magical. You know, I always say, theater, creating theater is like creating the perfect cup of tea. You need to bring all of the right elements and ingredients, and then you also need time for it to brew. And once it had time to brew, then you've got your cup of cha, and you can <laughs> go on with your day. <laughs> Don't mind if I do. Thanks for the other day. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, I, and I assume as well that, and this probably happened early on. This isn't something that that I guess would trouble you now at this this point in your career, but a, a lot of people that that find themselves in pos- positions of any responsibility, they have staff, freelancers, whoever around them um, and there's that sort of collaboration. The desire to micromanage is it's quite hard to resist but there must have been instances where your actors have, have, have maybe made choices that you perhaps thought I'm really not sure but you just thought no I'm going to bite my tongue, hold that and see how that pans out and, and sometimes been pleasantly surprised. Yeah and I think it's, it's about Building trust in the room and building an open dialogue, and I, I, I don't, I don't believe that this is something that's unique to theatre. I think this works at any management level in any industry across, you know, across the spectrum. You, you have to, if you've employed someone, if you've picked that person to do to play that role or to do that job, you have to trust them. You've, because by trusting them, you're trusting your own judgment, and if you trust them and allow them the space to be themselves and to try things and to take risks. Um, I always like to say that the, the rehearsal rooms that I build are a brave space where everyone can take risk without judgment or without fear of failure. In fact, failure at rehearsal, you know, in the rehearsal room is 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 ideal because we learn from that and we, we then, some of the best ideas can come out of some of the worst ideas um, that, that then develop. And so trusting the people who you have around you and their, their ideas, their craft, their art. And then it's about being able to have an open and clear and constructive dialogue together about, okay, what's working here? What's not working here? And how, how can we make small adjustments together that, that will help that and help each other to create the story we all want to tell. And I think that constant bringing it back to the we, we're all here for a connected purpose. That to me is the most important thing. And as I said, I, I don't think is probably relevant just to theater. It's, it's a universal thing, I believe. When somebody becomes a director, um, what would you say is, is the thing that really questions and, and stretches you in terms of uh, your your skills ability and insight i think in the first instance as is, you know i say, i think lots of people from a very young age can be naturally connected to stories and want to tell the story and, and know the kind of work they want to create i think it's how you work with people is one of you know is one, I, I remember one of my earliest jobs i was only 23 24 uh, and i was directing a production in london that uh, and we had cast this huge West End and Broadway star as one of the leading roles and someone who was much my senior and someone who I had admired from a young age of somebody who I had idolized as a kid and that was terrifying absolutely terrifying and it was one of those for me I always look back at that as a make or break moment because I, I could have crumbled in that moment or I could have succeeded and in that moment it wasn't about whether my ideas were brilliant. It wasn't, it was, can I meet this person on a level and work with them? And the answer, thankfully, was yes. You know, we got on really brilliantly and we, we collaborated really well. And it was at that point coming out of that process, that I was like, okay, cool. This is, 
I, ca I can do this. I, I, I know I can do this and have confidence in myself to do this because I've done it at this level with this type of person. But it doesn't matter what level you're doing that at. That's the most important thing. Can you work with people? And I think some directors do stumble at that hurdle where they have great ideas, they have great intentions of the work they want to create, and then they get into the room and... Um, and maybe that's something they struggle with and the work suffers as a result and then they have to try and analyze why that didn't work out the way they hoped it might so i mean you know i guess i have to push you on on that one because it's a, it's probably a, a great challenge as you say or can be is is there something that is in your um kit bag as it were your toolkit for when somebody either is so big a name or so experienced uh, such a star that perhaps you know taking notes or direction doesn't da go down so well they're reticent to do that I mean wh where do you pitch it so somebody becomes a director somebody uh, uh, comes into your line of work your role Dean what would be your advice in that situation where you are dwarfed effectively by the stardom of somebody the reputation of somebody Empathy it is the simple answer, John. Empathy is the most important tool. Uh, I have a little phrase where I say everyone's just a dude. Everyone's just someone who eats toast in the morning and and wants you know wants to buy a Lamborghini at some point, you know, or whatever their whatever their wishes and desires are. It, it doesn't matter what level someone's at. Everyone is just a person. And uh, I think a lot of people who are maybe of a high stature or fame or whatever ultimately will appreciate if you remember that that if you remember that they're a person and that they they just need empathy they just need uh and th at any level that becomes important um that you recognize that that person needs you to meet them and understand them on an individual basis i don't think there's one approach i would ever recommend taking with every single actor i get asked that question sometimes you know how do you work with actors and it's like well what actor do you have in front of you? You've got to recognize <laughs> yes, what yeah. that person yeah. needs, who that person is, what what's going to make them tick. And recognizing that is a skill in itself. And it, it all stems from empathy. Can you empathize with that person and meet them on a level? Using the example that I gave, I, I'll not say their name, but the, the this person I was working with, you know, this was one of the first kind of big stars I'd ever worked with. And we went to begin the performance and they were nervous and they needed reassurance at a pep talk and you know just a little hand on the shoulder mm -hmm. to say hey you're gonna ace this and that was strange for me because this was someone who i'd idolized as a kid and saw as you know one of the greatest performers but recognizing that that person is a human being and needs a hand on their shoulder where I would have failed in that instance if I'd said, oh, but that person's that person and therefore what can I possibly do? So I'm just going to, I'm just, I'm not going to do anything because that person obviously knows what they're doing, in which case that person would have felt unsupported and would have felt lonely and, and, and wouldn't, that wouldn't have been the right thing to do. So it's just recognizing that everyone's just a dude and everyone's, everyone, you know, everyone gets out of bed in the morning and everything mm. else is, is subjective. <laughs> They all a bloot in some form yeah. or another. <laughs> I was trying to, I was trying to work out a way to say that without saying that. There you are. There's a gift for you. That's a, that's my sole note to you on this occasion. <laughs> uh, let's um, conclude by um, looking at the very recent past and on obviously the future for you, Dean, in this career. Um, you couldn't have obviously uh, encountered a greater obstacle for live theatre than the pandemic. Uh, curse it, but but you turned to online and and received great acclaim for for what you did. How how did you get that off the ground? Yeah, well, it's it's strange because you know just upfront and outright, and it, it it constantly feels strange for me. But some of my most kind of successful work in terms of the level of um, just just the level of audience that it has reached has come out of the pandemic, which feels ludicrous because. It, the pandemic was such a difficult time for theatre um, in so many ways. Um, I think for me, it was it, it was a kind of need to create something. It was a need to, when the pandemic hit, there was a kind of a period where 
everyone was just kind of going, what do we do? You know, theatres, I think I remember people were like, oh, theatres will open again in three weeks. And uh, here we are two years later and sadly shows are still having to open and close uh, because of the impacts in, in the live setting. But the kind of, as this progressed, I, I just, I wanted to be creative. That need and that drive to work with people, it just, just I couldn't contain it any longer and uh, I had fortunately a few years ago you know, I, I, I am a hobbyist photographer and then have just developed that over time uh, I used to then work as a professional photographer for a while and you know, that, that ability to have multiple skills early in your career is a whole other conversation but um, I understood how videography worked and stuff and so I said okay what if we created musical theatre or theatre but it was kind of like a film theatre hybrid and what if we could make that in the pandemic and so uh, I pitched some ideas to some amazing producers uh, particularly Lambert Jackson who were hugely supportive and uh, we just we really clicked in terms of a shared vision of what we could do and not just stand back but say okay let's try to create something and we created some really cool work in the pandemic and that work ended up being seen all across the UK but for the first time for me you know in America you know these projects went on to streaming platforms internationally and that really had a huge impact on some of the doors that could open to me and and that that just came out of it wasn't oh I need work and it was just I have it came right back to that same thing. I think it's that same quality that as a 12 year old made me go into a theater and say, can I have your theater for free? Um, and it was just a desire to create stories. And that same quality served me so well, some you know, 20 years later, to the point where that has extended a lot of opportunities for me and you know, I can't say on this podcast stuff that's coming up, but there's stuff that is coming up that's like real pinch me moments, real bucket list stuff that I can't believe is happening. <laughs> um, and uh, and that I, that all comes, I think, I think this, I guess, loops back quite nicely to the start of this podcast. So that 12-year-old who, who had that drive and that became the most important thing in the end. And I think that's what I was saying earlier about for some time I maybe suppressed that because I felt it was the cool thing to do but actually just going do you know what I just really love doing stuff let's do it that paid off <laughs> so you know okay it's not the first time I dare say it's been said out loud but opportunities can can come from anywhere and, and certainly you know, by the sounds of things out of adversity and and it's just what kind of just knowing when to in a non-cynical way, capitalise upon that and just think, right, well, if I need to adapt and go in this direction, then so be it. Yeah, it's recognising, it's the same as I said earlier, that a lot of the, the greatest lessons are learned from failure and a lot of the, the best ideas come from the worst ideas. Uh, some of some of the greatest adversities can grow the opportunities, can, can give space for opportunities, new opportunities that you never realised you had. And without obviously going too deeply into the politics of, of that, you know, growing up in Northern Ireland towards the end of the Troubles, that's, I think that's something you, you learn to recognise quite quite clearly. Uh, and I think is, is a huge part of why that's been a part of my philosophy in life and um, recognising that out of adversity can come some amazing things if you seek to look for the space in between. Um, and so it's about being able to recognize when think when you feel down on the ground, when you feel at your lowest or wherever, it's about recognizing where is the next opportunity? What's, you know, uh, to, to use a random reference that I, I love, the, the Disney's Frozen 2, which is such a weird reference, but there's a, a song in it uh, written by the Lopez's who are, who are amazing musical theater writers as well as Disney you know, superstars now, um, uh, the next right thing. And it's when you're at that point, what's the next right thing you can do? And actually it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable to sometimes that not being something logical, but just, I know it sounds cliche, but following your passion and your desire and your heart, that can, I think, lead to 
opening up opportunities from adversity. Uh, let's let's end on probably in a nice way what's probably quite a niggling question because I appreciate that through all the various productions, collaborations and, and creativity that you've seen throughout your career so far, Dean, to, to whittle it down to one is, is going to be a pain, frankly, I dare say, a pain in the neck. But <laughs> what's been your a particularly proud moment and why? Um, <laughs> you're probably not going to believe this answer, but the first one when I was 12, the worst one, um, the one that was terrible and the one that was messy and the one that if I could go back and shake 12-year-old me and say, what on earth are you doing? Um, uh, this is the worst thing anyone's ever seen on stage. <laughs> that is that is quite genuinely the, the one that I'm proudest of. Um, uh, and it's, yeah, it's hard, you know, it's, it's like picking your favourite child, but if it's what am I proudest, most proud of, it's that, because I think that sheer just sense of I want to do this that if I had never done that I don't think for me I would be able to be where I am today and so that catalyst has to be the thing that I'm proudest of because it's the thing that everyone everything has come out of since then and look I have so many amazing memories of shows that I've created and honors that you know I've achieved and things I've been nominated for certain things and that's all great but the catalyst of what drove me to do this that's absolutely the thing that i'm most proud of well i think that's lovely that that's um, the seed like you said the catalyst of of what you do now where you are now so that's come full circle and it's, it's fantastic really great to talk to you dean thanks ever so much for your time on the podcast thank you john the money thing well, the Independent Theatre Council, the ITC and UK Theatre negotiate minimum rates of pay with appropriate entertainment unions on behalf of their members. Now, the agreed weekly fee uh, from their perspective for assistant directors is £480. A theatre director of a full-length play should receive a minimum preparatory fee of just over £1,600 and weekly rehearsal payments of £494. Freelance directors in a commercial rep theatre can and command a minimum fee of around £3,000 with a weekly fee of approximately £560 to £670. But of course, there will be broad, broad ranges according to the experience of the director and the size of the venue and production company. Skill set. You learn so much from teaching others. Is this quote of Dean's said that in the, the conversation just now, Nick? And, and actually, he does go as far as saying 30% of what he's picked up along the way has been from teaching others, you know, from so it, sharing knowledge then and be, best practice. is We're saying that's something that's mutually beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's, it's so interesting, isn't it, that when you are learning something, when you're following a path, uh, when you've, you've got an interest and you've got some knowledge and expertise, passing that on is, is a great way to become more clear, to develop uh, sharper insights and and just the, the ability to communicate with others in a, in a really clear way is, is such a valuable skill. And, and as Dean says, you, you, you learn more from doing that. And certainly in, in my profession where we're doing teaching training coaching uh, around leadership it, the the experience of teaching others i can absolutely agree is is one of the ways for sure that that you become better at what you do uh, and, and always it's it's so rewarding talk to so many people and, and and dean kind of sums this up really well it's it's such a, a valuable and rewarding thing to do uh, when you are involved in in passing on that knowledge so becoming more, let's say, self-aware, uh, picking up more about yourself, becoming aware of those things, that's something that, you know, by and large, Dean has got from sharing knowledge, from some teaching. But if you can't get to do teaching in a formal way, and that's not to say in a school, you know, workshopping, those sorts of things, any kind of teaching, but if you can't get to do that, how how would you recommend that somebody becomes more aware of, of how they are and how they operate? Yep. It, there are a few things that you can do. And it, and again, it's, it's, it's absolutely a, a, a super important thing to, to do, to, to pay attention. And so Dean, just sort of backtracking to Dean's story a little bit, he talks about walking around the, 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 the playground at school kind of in his own creative world rather than socialising um, all the time with others, even though he had 
good friendships and, and, and recognizing this is a bit about me. I think paying attention to what grabs your interest, uh, recognizing when you really felt alive and, and, and stimulated, excited about uh, something that you were involved with, uh, you know, whether it's you know, putting together a, a show at school or being part of a production or, or being involved in a sports team or just really getting uh, getting down into a, a problem-solving situation or, or design, sort of DT-type type situation. I, the, these were the, the areas that I, I, I really found myself excited. So we asked the, um, the question in, in our Making of a Champion programme around, you know, what, what do you love doing? What are you good at? Um, and what do you care about? And those, those are good questions to, to ask yourself. When did I find myself really, um, really feeling strongly about something? Uh, what kind of things do other people say that I'm good at? Uh, yeah, so, so there's some ideas that you can use to start to recognise, you know, this is me becoming aware of you know, how I'm wired, what kind of person I am. I absolutely love the reminiscence of, of him being 12. Clearly that has left such an indelible mark on, on him and continues to push him forward to drive him today and, and to get him where he is. It just it just made me think, you know, yes, there were lots of friends in the mix, but he did, as you say, like to take himself off to maybe, you know, the edge of the playground, etc., and just lose himself in almost like this dreamlike state and, and think about these fantastical stories that he wanted to tell. So there's got to be a value, hasn't there, in, in how we look at how we were as a child maybe we don't do that enough you know looking at things in a more dreamlike state of wonderment <laughs> yes yeah well it sounds fantastic doesn't it yeah i'm going to yeah. what are you doing today i'm wandering around in a state of uh, <laughs> dreamlike wonderment <laughs> well get on and do your homework <laughs> but please yeah. sir right, yeah who we in essence as, as we we grow up we we just discover who we are and and the essence of that you know has been with us you know from from childhood and so recognizing the the kinds of things that we were into certainly if if I look back I've always loved team sports for example and never been particularly fond of individual sports and I still enjoy playing team sports but in my working life I recognize that as well I love to work in teams I love to kind of coordinate lead teams all that sort of thing and that's been with me so it's a social aspect it's a kind of is everybody okay kind of aspect let's let's kind of find ways to to do things together and and, and you recognize that's, that's that's been from from really young yeah the essence of 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 who we are has has been there way beyond we probably were aware of it dean makes this excellent point that some of the skills in being a director in the theater are less obvious they're more subtle which makes me think how about the notion of looking beyond a job description that seems like a a great outlook, a really good idea. Yes, and, and certainly it's one of the aims that we have with the, the Careers Podcast is to go beyond the, the headlines and hear from people, what's it like to be a director or in banking or a, a web designer or all the other um, things that we've, we've highlighted so far uh, through the various podcast episodes because that's where you get to find out what it's really like, the, the stories behind the, you know, the, the job description or the things that everybody thinks, well, an accountant, it's, it's just numbers and you know, spreadsheets and detail, but there's, there's all the other things, elements of it, or you know, can pick any profession, any career thing. So yeah, absolutely looking to find out if something interests you, find, find people that do that, listen to stories, read biographies, uh, find people you can go and chat, do internships, uh, work experience, all of those kinds of things. And never has that been more easy with all the kind of resources of the internet at our disposal, just for starters. And I guess that sits with the idea, uh, again, this coming from Dean, of allowing yourself to be influenced by certain people, borrowing even from them to a, to a degree. So we can do more of that by the sounds of things and it's a beneficial thing to do to to have the, those kind of influences that that come out in how in how you work yeah really we can uh yeah we, we all have yeah people that we we look at and we go wow what they've done is fantastic you know, they're whether it's you know been in in fundraising for charities or in in, in endurance adventures or in in business or you know medicine science all those kind of things there are people or just people we know in our families or in our 
neighborhoods where we go, wow, this person really is uh, incredible. And Dean, certainly, I know, I have some kind of knowledge of, of the work he's done with young people in the world of theatre. Yeah, and lots of people look to Dean and go, wow, what an inspiration, what a great guy. And, and having recognised that, to then say, well, not, not just go, well, that's great, move on, but pay attention to people that you, you look at. What is it about them, the way that they are with people, the way that they listen to everybody, the way that they, they make people feel included and valued, or, or you know, the way they overcome barriers and, and self-doubt and, and go and make stuff happen. Again, I, I go back to, to Dean's story of 12 years old, to go to the theatre and say, let me, you know, let me put something on. Yeah, how many of us, and I, I would feel like that would definitely not have been something I would have done at 12. I would have gone, no, yeah. no, 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 and tell yeah. ourselves not. But why not? Look at Dean and be inspired and go, you know, whether you're 12 or 15 or 20 or whatever now, and there's that kind of, you know, maybe I could go and ask, push a door, see if I can make it happen. You know, go do that. So look at people that inspire you and, and learn from them. He also makes this... Um point that uh, you you really shouldn't be reserved or be afraid to show the passion about your work either you know you just don't hold back yeah it, it's interesting is that it, it can be quite uncool to be seen as as passionate to be really enthusiastic you know just just kind of maintain this sort of level coolness um yeah you know i don't want to be seen as overly enthusiastic or excitable but what we we see in others when when people are genuinely passionate about something that inspires and it it, it kind of helps others to see uh, you know, I want to get behind this person I want to help them I want to enable them maybe I want to work with them certainly you know when when you think about leaders leaders that have passion for what they're doing inspire other people to work with them you know whether that's to be employed by them or in you know sports or theater or or whatever it might be um yeah for, for sure time and time again uh, nick it, it obviously is it's a thing that is timeless but the idea of collaboration collaborative working held up as something really really desirable something really great uh, and something to aim for because whatever it is you do wherever you work whatever sector you're in it doesn't really work to just stand alone to kind of be an island no, no, absolutely. It's funny you talk about collaborative working. Was watching an episode <laughs> with with the, the the whole family last night uh, of The Apprentice, you know, where they they're given tasks that they have to try and achieve and work as a group, but actually they're competing and they're all talking about I'm a collaborative leader and I'm but actually <laughs> they're not very good at listening to each other. They're all putting forward their own ideas to try and win over and crush other people's ideas and <laughs> the complete opposite of what Dean has been talking about. And again, I'm can seen enough of, of Dean's work to know he does this fantastically well to bring out the best in everybody to listen so some great stuff that Dean talked about you know listen to everybody hear their ideas um, and, and then form the way forward it doesn't mean that you haven't got strong ideas yourself but you you create together rather than just coming in and saying this is my way now shut up and, and do it as I tell you <laughs> It's, it struck me that this was yet more useful advice from Dean. He also said for you not to, to be consumed, you know, with, with what others, other peers or I suppose rivals that, you know, you might traditionally say are doing. Don't have that professional envy thing. Don't concern yourself or get too caught up with, well, you know, I'm just kind of looking down the corridor and mm, what they what they up to, that looks better than mine or different to mine. It's the flip side, isn't it, of, being inspired by others, looking to them, seeking mentors, people that you can learn from, reading about them and, and following them and, and all those sorts of things, but yet not trying to be like anybody else, not not feeling like my, you know, I wish I was m more like this or had that, you know, it's, it's, it's a really common thing, certainly. You know, I know that's been a, a, a challenge, especially when I was younger, to, to wish I was more like somebody else rather than be true to yourself, discover yourself, be inspired by others, learn from them, but make peace with who I am. Yeah, I'd say critical. And, and, it, and it's a real challenge and it, it takes practice to uh, kind of affirm to ourselves, yeah, this is, this is me. I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to be the best me but I'm not trying to pretend to be somebody else. And that takes a bit of pressure off uh, and it's, it's, it's hard to do, but, but really worth persevering. 
Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for that, Nick. I, I've obviously got you know a, a whole bunch of, of quotes that I uh, think are fantastic from that conversation with Dean. And, and you have as well, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. There, there was one particular that I absolutely love. I've written it down. I'm going to use it yeah, and keep it for myself and share it with others. Uh, Dean said, failure in the rehearsal room is ideal. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. This this idea. So we we want to be ourselves and be true to ourselves and, and you know, develop confidence in who we are. But absolutely, it's fine to fail in, in the right environments. Practice stuff. Don't expect that it, it's all going to go perfectly. You know, we can record a podcast. It might be a terrible bit. <laughs> Cut it out. It doesn't matter. You know, being being free to 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 explore, to experiment, to learn, to grow, and, and that inevitably always involves failure. And that's that's really important to grasp. That you know, getting everything right, being perfect, is is never going to happen. And so, being yeah, being comfortable with that. So I love that line. Failure in the rehearsal room is ideal. Yeah, and it's just so utterly brilliant the way that opportunities have come out of uh, the most challenging, the most difficult of circumstances. I'm talking, of course, about COVID because, yes, it's something that is uh, that asks huge, huge questions of lots of companies and, and organisations and individuals. In, in terms of what Dean has done, he's seen some... Uh, fantastic successes uh, that have been well I, I remember that you know I, I, I delved into this skill a little bit which perhaps you know previously in a traditional form he didn't use a little bit of videography here but a social media there brought them all together with some ideas and some willing partners and just saw this this uh, uh, previously unseen success but drawn out of adversity yeah loved loved hearing about that the the in incredibly difficult times so yeah for, for theater <laughs> the world mm. of theater goodness me you know suddenly all the theaters are shut that's that's absolutely terrible almost literally couldn't be worse and yet finding a way to to be resourceful to still create mm. and, and and ultimately you know dean's uh comment was that you know some of his best successes you know, and the expansion of his profile and reach and and professional growth has mm. come through this incredibly challenging time and that that's all about attitude it's all about how can we make this work rather than this is terrible it's going to be awful let me just sit back and do nothing yeah yeah that adaptability has just been astounding uh so on so many levels thank you ever so much to uh to dean for coming on and uh talking about his his career and uh the run-up to it brilliant to hear from him let's uh, finish up nick by highlighting the making of a champion resources that that really help fill in those personal and, and career blanks um the the place to find them Yep, yep, you can find uh, all that we do So, uh, as, as LMI, which is Leadership Management International here in the UK. Uh, you'll find us at lmi-uk.com forward slash young leaders and you'll find episodes of the Careers Podcast if you want to go back through the old catalogue. Um, but once you've got it on your uh, podcast stream, subscribe, uh, rate, um, and uh, if you can uh, give us a review, that would be brilliant. Um, then you'll find the uh, online free Make of a Champion uh, Foundations workshops where we discuss some of those, these ideas and give you some really practical tools to help you set goals, realise your your dreams and desires and kind of get to know yourself a little bit in terms of some of those things around what do you love doing, what do you care about, um, what are you good at identifying your strengths that can help guide your career path. Um, and, and then, of course, details of the full uh, 10 module making of a champion program on there as well so it's lmi-uk.com forward slash young leaders just to add we're ever so easy to find there's kind of no escape really in the nicest possible way from the careers podcast we're on google Podcasts, apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music you name it we are there uh, nick thanks very much brilliant thank you john and big thanks dean the careers podcast with the information you need to take the next step